Good, let's jump in. All right, so last week we uh, started talking this idea of discipleship, family discipleship, and this kind of investing into parents, just naming some things for parents, and then kind of point, painted the picture of now it's not just, like we said even earlier, it's not just the parents' responsibility to invest into, disciple, and raise uh, the children here at Vintage, but it's really the whole church's responsibility to come alongside and invest into the, our children and into our youth. And so we looked at some things last week that Timothy's going to kind of dive back into for us in a minute. Uh, and then we're going to, at the very end, literally, we're just going to give you like two lists, like practical, uber practical list of things that are going to make you the best parents in Cobb slash Paulding County ever, right? Or Bartow, wherever you live, yeah. So that's our goal, to make you great parents and better than everybody else. Um, no, seriously, but we are going to give you some real practical takeaway things that uh, you can do. Now, let me say this. I had someone come up early and say, well, I mean, that, was, that was really nice to hear, but all my kids have already gone. And so let me say this to you. Everyone who's over the age of, say, 60, uh, who don't have kids at home, at least because they're out of, maybe they're living at home, but they're not in school anymore, right? Um, the greatest, listen, in the book Sticky Faith that I want you all to buy, okay, they say, and hear this, I, what, this wasn't part of our normal thing, the 9 o'clock okay. didn't get this, is that okay? Thanks, man. So, um, but they said that the, the probably one of the most, imp- this, is, this was fascinating to me, most important relationships within like, as in relates to the church investing into the youth is like the grandparent age investing into youth. Because I don't know if you know, but kids like grandparents. And they like them because grandparents just love their grandkids and give them grace by nature. It's a natural thing. They don't have, they don't have the same hang-ups that the, parents, the, the mom and dad do with their kids performing. and do, like, They just love the grandkids, right? How many of you who have kids have had grandparents say, oh, don't be so hard on them, right? And the reality is a lot of times they're actually right. <laughs> I've experienced that myself, right? Uh, so anyway, I just say that, that this is a message for everyone in the room, okay? So with that, Timothy, just kind of start out again talking about the sin management piece and the gospel and what that relates to and kind of paint that picture and foundation for us again before we launch in, please. And this is Timothy Parker. For those of you who don't know, this is our youth pastor, and he's phenomenal, and we're glad to have him. So Phenomenal. Yeah. I like that. Um, first off, I would like to say that if you text me during this, Mike and Shirlene Sillo, I will not respond. <laughs> Even if you did notice that Steve and I are kind of matching right now. Yes. Uh-huh. That was not planned. Harvest walked in. She's like, I'm not even going to say what she said. But basically she said, I pulled Timothy's shirt for him this morning. And uh, I'm just kidding. Did she pull your shirt this morning? She did. Yeah, what a great wife. She ironed so, it last night. How yeah, look at that. So let's that? just look. It's, it's a little bit different. A little bit different, right? That was not planned. But, hey, it's good. All right. Um, awesome. So... I, Michael Sillo. Tisk tisk tisk. Right. And right, condoned by his own mom too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bob is innocent. Oh. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that um, really stuck out to me, and when, when Steve and I were discussing this book, is the thing they started with first was this idea of sticky gospel. So there's this foundational truth. There's this foundational belief that sort of governs everything else and really enriches and informs everything else. And the thing that Steve and I both agreed was really interesting was they identify something that a lot of us believe that is not that, though. And they call it the the gospel of sin management. Um, And I I actually like to sort of enrich it for for our case. Um, I call it the gospel of behavior management Um, because what I find is our students and Really, a lot of people don't just, it's not just I don't do bad things, which is what it says, you know, you manage your sins. So if you notice that you are particularly tempted to do some something that you know is outside of God's will for your life, you either try your absolute white-knuckled hardest to not do that thing, or you keep it as much in the dark as possible and don't let anyone else know so that when you pull into vintage on Sunday morning, you can come in with the shirt your wife ironed for you the night before and, and, and look good and therefore be good. Um, but I, I find that our students, we, we deal with that a little bit, but it's also um, not just putting away bad things. It's purposefully bringing forward good things. 
um, and it's sort of a performance-based mentality that says, if I look good, if I do good, if I act good, then I am good. Um, and that can be very, very unhealthy. Um, because that, then that, that means that if you mess up, you're no longer good. So what we find is in this, we say that we want to give our students a gospel that is rich in the grace of God, which means that Jesus loved them first when they didn't love him, that he pursued them when they weren't pursuing him, and he came and got them when they weren't running towards him, so that that is what keeps them. It is his love and his pursuit of them that keeps them rather than their ability to be good. Um, but, as it's it said in the book, we, we don't always end up there. I think we, I mean, I personally don't always end up there because it's so easy to think, well, if I do good at my job, if I do good in my marriage, if I do good in the relationships that I'm a part, if I do these good things, then Jesus kind of has to be on my team, right? Right? But then the, the really negative flip side is if I don't do those things, then Jesus isn't on my team. Yeah. And he looks at me wagging his finger, mostly disappointed, mostly angry, kind of sad, um, and waits for me to clean myself up. And that's, that's just not what is going to cause our students to thrive. It's not what's going to foster spiritual life in them. Um, so that we find that we have to, we have to instill what, something in them that says, I do, I perform because I am loved. Not, I perform to be loved. Because the way we kind of, our lives or, are oriented, I know if you're in business, or if you're in any sort of thing that, that you're working, anything, it's, I do this to earn. I earn. I I do this to earn love. I do this to earn money. I do this to earn acceptance. I do this to earn whatever it is. But we just can't tra- – We that can't be translated for our students. It has to be I am loved, therefore I do. Yeah, and I think one of the pieces I said in the first service was growing up in youth group and all that kind of stuff. I remember and, – and some of you probably experienced the same thing. I would wake up in the morning and, and, and go through my day, and if I had spent time – if I had a quiet time in the morning – then I thought I, was, I had earned the right to have a good day. But if I didn't have a quiet time, spend time with Jesus that morning, I just knew it was going to be a bad day because I just didn't have the favor of God because, oh, God's going to give me a bad day to teach me a lesson to have a quiet time tomorrow, right? This whole idea, this works part, the performance piece, if I can perform for God, he'll give me something good, right? So just a practical example for me when I was a, a youth. No, and, and I think... Um one thing that I have to be particularly careful of like when I'm relating to students, and even just trying to make small talk, I have to be careful of the way my conversations are weighted. Right. Because um, I can't consistently ask questions that are based on their performance. How are you doing in school? How are you doing on your football team or volleyball team or whatever? How are, how are your friends? It has to be more in how they feel about it, what they think about it, how it is being used in their life to help for Jesus to help them become who he has called them to be. Because then if it's, I have this thing where it's like, Oh, well, don't worry. You can do better. You can do better. Then it's in my eyes. It would seem that it's, I, I'll be sorry. Kelly Lee got me coffee. Um, good. You can just bring it up here. It's fine. Um, I have to be careful. And I think we have to be careful that we orient our conversation around who our students are their value and worth in Jesus already rather than what they're going to do or who they're going to become. That is glorious. Um, if you want some, you can have it. I'm good, but thank okay. you. Um, so, and I find what this creates when, when students, even, even by simply the, just paying attention to the things you say and the things you talk about, um, and sort of drawing them into conversation centered on grace, it creates an atmosphere of safety that then they feel comfortable opening up because they yeah. realize you just love them. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, and, and you understand, we all understand safety, right? If, uh, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm like Anna Sarah, I will carry her up the stairs. and you go up our stairs, there's a little kind of, I don't know, like a little, what do they call it, Tim? Where, well, yeah, like a landing comes up and there's like a thing at the side. Like I could fall over over here. I grew up a whole story, right? whole, whatever. And so I carry up there. And when I carry on my left side, she doesn't feel safe. 
if I carry her on my right side against the wall, she feels safe, right? So, so the idea then for all of us, we understand when we feel safe and when we feel unsafe in life. Some of us feel, have moments of feeling unsafe in our marriages. We feel unsafe in the context of, of, our, of, of work and moments of safety. So we all understand safety. So the idea then is when we create an environment of performance for our children, then we have created an environment that's not safe for them. Now, can, will you clarify something for me? Um, can you clarify the difference between performance and, and legitimate goals? Yeah, performance has this idea that you perform to get something, right? You do this, and I will, I will give you something, right? Whereas goal, which, so it's basically a, a selfish-oriented piece where, where goals is we want you to succeed because we love you. Therefore, let's set these goals out here that even if you don't attain them, we'll still love you. Right? Do you see the difference in that? So the difference between this performance, this goal-oriented versus just the performance-driven. So, so the idea then is, is that safety for our children then is a place where they feel like no matter what they do, they're going to be loved and they're going to be accepted. No matter what they do, they're going to feel loved and they're going to feel accepted. When I was in, in, first, in first in ministry, my first year of ministry, I was working with the Wesley Foundation at Georgia and Tom Tanner, Pastor Riverstone was my boss. And never forget, like he was, he wrote, he wrote me a note, right? He wrote me a note. I still have it somewhere at the house. Spent the world to me. I still use this. I share it with people all the time. But he said this, he wrote this letter, he said, Dear Steve, once you know I've really enjoyed working this year, but I want you to recognize that you've just begun what God has for you in ministry. He said, I want you to view this season of your life as an incubation period, right? An incubation, kind of just like this, this incubation period of, of just learning how to do ministry. Therefore, don't get too high with your highs. Don't get arrogant, right? And don't get too low with your lows. It's kind of depression, whatever. He said, just recognize that everything you're doing is for the purpose of learning. The purpose of learning. And I recognized when I, when I, and I, that meant the world to me. This, it kind of, it released me into a place of safety that I recognized when I failed, Tom wasn't going to go, oh my gosh, right? Or, and, and that I had a place to fail in safety. And then when I succeeded too much, he wasn't going to let my, let my head get too big, right? He was going to bring me back down to a, a proper level to help me grow and to mature into the young man that I, God created me to be. And what I want you to hear me say is that is your child's life as they're under your, as they're under your roof. It is 100% an incubation period of them learning and being shaped into who God has created them to be. And the greatest environment for them that, that to happen is not hanging them over the ledge completely in fear, but bring them over here to a place where they feel safe. And that safety, what does that mean? It means they don't feel like they have to perform for you. That if they do something they shouldn't do, you're not going to look at them and have a response that produces condemnation. And so think about this. What, what defines your difficult conversations with your children? Like what, what emotion comes from you in the midst of difficult conversations? And if you have children who are old enough to answer this question for you, I would encourage you to ask them, when you get home, if you have the guts to do so, because they need to be honest and probably will be, okay? And so what kind of environment do you create? Do you pr- promote one of guilt that literally the conversation is like, oh, my gosh, why did you? Why didn't you, right? One of guilt, maybe one of, of anger. You would never use the word anger. You'd use the word frustration because it's not quite as bad, right? But in reality, it's what it is. It's like, oh. Or maybe it's one of disappointment, all these kind of are usually wrapped up together. And the thing that I recognize even in our culture, and I want all of you to hear this, is that a lot of times, if we're completely honest, our response is birthed out of a response of embarrassment. We're embarrassed that our children are not the place that we thought they were, especially when they do something that other people find out about. Because how many parents, how many of you love to go tell stories about your children's great win in life? When's the last time you went and told them about one of their great failures so you could express the reality of life in your response, your difficult response? And this is, it was hard, but but a great conversation, right? No, that the idea is so many of us, whether embarrassment or even a sense of failure of our own performance, that we didn't raise them well enough. And we failed. 
that our own response is birthed out of our own fear that we failed, which is performance-driven because we have our own difficulty of receiving grace and love from Jesus. And so we all live in this, this brutal cycle but the idea for us is that even think about the most the worst listen think about the worst experience of your child right the, the worst thing they ever did the the thing that that hurt you embarrassed you angered you the most think about that moment and think about the reality of your response should have always been safety birth out of love and of honoring and of showing grace to your child so one of the, the things that I play out in my own mind, and I, and I say this, and I know it's a sensitive topic maybe for some of you in the room, so I, I recognize that. But I want you to, this, and I recognize that. That's why I have the, that's why I have the, um, the question in my own head. And I, it's very personal, actually, to my own family on both Randall's and my side. So this is something that we've both experienced, and it's, it's part of our family's story, okay? I asked the question of myself before the Lord. I said, God. If Anna Catherine or Sarah were to come to me at 16 years old and tell me they were pregnant, how would I respond? That's the question I ask myself because in this day and age, that's the thing to me that would be most overwhelming. Now, let me just go ahead and say, dads, I have a lot of responses that come to mind. I just will say that, okay? The first one being, who is he and how can I choke him to death, okay? I'm just being completely honest, right? You're like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I'm just being honest, okay? I would never do it. Don't worry, okay? But I'm like, Gah! right? But I ask myself, how would I respond? And there's only one true response that can happen in a moment, in a household, a place of, of grace and of mercy. The response would be, I love you. Are you okay? That's the only response that we can give as an initial response. I love you, grace. You can tell me anything without boundaries, and I will give you a platform of loving you and of receiving you and showing you grace. Scripture tells us, and Timothy's going to mention it here in a few minutes, but the story of, of the woman caught in adultery, right? It's a story of grace where the woman's caught in adultery. She is literally caught red-handed. She's probably standing half naked before the entire group and standing before Jesus, been dragged out of her home by the Pharisees. And they bring her out and said, Jesus, what, we sh- what should we do with this woman? Because the law, the law of Moses says that we must stone her. And Jesus does what every smart person does. He kneels down and begins drawing in the dirt. Doesn't react. He just sits there, making them uncomfortable, right? Just taking time to gather his thoughts. He knew he was going to say, but he just wanted to squirm because that's just how he is, right? He wants, him, he wants them to know that he knows what's going on and he's not real worried, right? Parents, we should take a chapter out of his book, right? And you have to pretend. Just pretend like, hmm. Just sit there as your child says something, right? And he says, he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And the story is beautiful. It goes, and from oldest, because they knew best and had, created, had, had the most sin in their life from this, because of time, from, younger, from oldest to youngest, they cast their stones down and they walked away. And Jesus walks over to the woman and says, where are your accusers? And she just says, they've all gone. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. He sits there and basically gives this place of grace, even though she's caught in red-handed sin, worthy of stoning according to the Old Testament law. And he loves her by fighting for her. Now, it's important to recognize, he then immediately after that says, now listen, because I love you, let me give you a second part. Stop doing this. Don't do this anymore, right? There's a place of having, there's, there, there is no love and say, oh, I accept you. That's whatever you want to do. That's okay, right? No, that's not love. That's killing someone. We love them enough to give them a platform, a place of safety, but in pure love say, that's killing you. For my sake and for your sake, will you please stop? Because you're going to die young if you keep on in this. 
There's that place, no matter what we do as parents and as spiritual parents, we give that place of grace in honesty. We love them first. And I want to release you when you're like, oh my gosh, do I need to show tough love? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? I mean, how many of you, I mean, you have stories to tell, like, oh, if I could just get up there and tell a story real quick, Steve, right? You all have stories. But I want you to know it's okay always the first reaction to say, come here. I, I love you and I accept you as you are. I don't accept your sin, right? But I love you. And when the time is right, in your wisdom following the Holy Spirit's lead, you say, but go and sin no more. This is killing you. And I love you too much to let you stay in that place. So, so this is this idea of creating safety, a safe environment, this place of grace and of mercy in your relationship, not performance-driven, not birth out of your own embarrassment because of your own failure, your own performance-driven nature where you can't receive grace, but this idea of being a grace-filled person. So Timothy, talk some about, about that, the relationship that we have with our youth and the conversations that we're having and this understanding, this in the context even of your own stories that you know of that looks like. Um, the thing, especially in what you're saying that I'm, yeah. I'm picking up and that I think we need to understand about this is that a lot of this revolves around identity. Right. Who am I? What is my place in life? What is, what, what do I need to pursue to get, to get meaning or definition to my life? What am I going to, you know, all this stuff. And, um, I find that usually when negative things, negative routes are pursued, it's because a lack, it's a, it's a lack there, or misplaced something that's misplaced there. Um, so, I, going going back to safety, um, I, I've had experiences that I never thought I would have in one year in working in student ministry. Um, I I have so much more respect and gratitude for parents now because I know what it's like to talk to a student and ask them a question and know for a fact that their answer is a lie. And it's brutal. And it's gut-wrenching. But I also know that thing that's in your heart that says, I know what you, I know that, but I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm on your team. Um, I know what it's like to see students pursue really negative behavior patterns that are just hurtful. I know what it's like to see them come out of negative behavior patterns, and it's wonderful. That's right. um, but the thing, I find the only thing that can sustain me personally, and I think the only th- thing that can sustain us is um, people who have been given charge over students, is if we have a really, um, if we have a really good grasp of God's grace first towards us. Um, That's right. Because it's really easy to get crushed in this relationship. And I said it last week. I'd say it again just because I think it bears repeating. But having conversations leading up to this, the one thing that I took away from every conversation with parents is that being a parent is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Having having someone who you are in charge of is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I I mean, I I don't get it fully, but I think I get it like 11%. I don't think that's too much to say. Um, if it is, give me a little grace. Nine percent. How about that? Eleven's um, good. Man. Yeah, eleven percent. Um, I'll give you grace for that. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, but I think it's really important if this is going to be a core value, which I think it has to be, mm-hmm. um, that we become very familiar with God's grace towards us. Because if we're not, then when our child or student has a failure, we perceive it as a failure on our behalf, and we feel awful. Or when they have a success. We think it's our doing rather than the doing of Jesus primarily, and we get a little puffed up. Um, so I think the, the, the primary way that I've found, and I just want to, this is a practical piece for everybody, is to take, look at God's story as a whole and find little snapshots where you see very clearly grace being given to someone and what it looks like in a relationship or in an actual personal interaction. And I have i got a few of them that Hayden's going to put up on the screen, I think. Do I got those, Hayden? You can go ahead and do them. Yeah. Um, So if you are a note taker or you want something that you can use in your own personal life, um, 
there are some passages from the Gospels and a couple at the end from the epistles. Um, but rather than going through all of them, because I'm sure you're kind of familiar with them, um, I want to tell you what, you should, what we should try to aim for when we address these. Yeah, just real quick, so go ahead and write all these down, okay? Just write them down. Take your smartphone, take a snapshot of it. It's a lot simpler, all right? I'm just trying to help that you out. That revolutionized some people's life last service. That's right. Some people were like, oh, oh what? Oh, <laughs> what? Both screens is crazy. Yeah, look, go ahead. Don't be yeah, scared. Yeah, look at that. That's it's all right. right. Good. We're technological. We're technology friendly. Actually, I need to write these down myself, so go ahead. Yeah. and get my phone um, So what we aim for in these, um, we, don't want, we don't want information we want meditation. And what I mean by meditation is not something weird or strange or whatever. I mean that we approach these scriptures with the goal of them actually addressing us, not addressing them. Um, so you take uh, the story of the prodigal son, the first one, and you read through it. You say, I've got 20 minutes. I'm going to read through this. And, and, and your goal isn't to be able to quote something out of it, know where it is in the Bible, it, not to be able to get some information from it, but rather have it change your heart. Um, so you read it, you read it, you, maybe there's one phrase in particular that sticks out to you. And so you sit there and you say, Jesus, what, it, what is going on here? You say, Jesus, you have showed me that you say God, the father is like this, that he's loving and forgiving. I don't really feel that way. I don't really know that kind of love or forgiveness. Can you, can you use this to show me what is going on here. And our goal is that we would do that until we actually get a sense of God's grace in our heart. Not that we can better explain it. Not so, okay, I've read the Pharisee and the tax collector, so I could give you like a couple of points from that on what God's grace looks like. That's not necessarily it. Or to extract a principle from it. It's so that the Holy Spirit through the Bible actually molds our heart so that when we actually don't when we're not consciously being gracious, that the Holy Spirit has changed us so much that it's what comes out. Our heart is grace-shaped. Our language is, has the accent of grace on it. Um, so we, 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 like, you know, um, Harvest Mom is, loves tea. And so I, 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 I'm very familiar with steeping tea, you know. And you just let it, and it, you start, and you're like, man, this tea bag is, not, and then all of a sudden, it goes from water to tea in like 10 seconds. It's amazing. And that's what happens. It's like, you know, you just marinate in it. Sure. You know, you, you, the goal is for it to make its way through all the stuff we've put up and allow it to actually impact our heart so that then we have grace to give others because we understand that we've been shown grace. Because yeah. um, <clears throat> the most important thing we can know is how much grace we've been shown. Yeah, so I would say that in the sister, in 100% agreement, I think. And so many of us, I mean, if we're completely honest, hate reading our Bible. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I know I'm supposed to, but, right? And it's like, ah. And so you get in there because you, because your wife may want you to, or your parent, your kids may want you to, or I don't know, your parents may want you. You know what I'm getting at? Your youth minister, your pastor, whoever it is, right? That pastor guy, whatever, right? We get this whole thing, and, and it's like, oh. But the, and it's like, so we find ourselves like reading and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I would say there's something that happens. And, like, when I take, let me just kind of give you some examples. Like, um, so the woman caught in adultery. It's 11. That's 12 verses, 1 through 11. It's like, no, it's 1 11. It's not 0, starting, starting in 1. So 1 through 11, right? What if literally you spent a whole month just reading 11 verses? Doesn't that, the, the description never says, read the whole Bible in a year to be a good Christian. Somebody told you that somewhere along the way. What if you focus on 11, 11 verses for the entire year? There's a guy named last name Motyer who basically said, I'm going to give my entire 50 years to Isaiah. And he basically studied Isaiah for 50 years. I read his, uh, uh, what's it called, commentary. I read that commentary, right? Because he spent a whole bunch of time there. My point is, in, like, this is an agreement, like, let something saturate you to the point that you read it and it actually changes your actions, your response, and your thinking, that's powerful. So spend some, don't leave something until it's changed you. And once it's changed you, then you can move on. Okay. So with that, Timothy, talk some now about how this, uh, obviously we're talking about our parents modeling and all this kind of stuff that can put some pressure on us, but just talk about the nature of like the spiritual vitality that we're going to dive into, um, not as a guilt thing, but just as a reality of a healthy part of our life and 
it looks yeah. like for us. And we, we mentioned it last week that um, Steve and I are not the most important pastors in your students' lives. You are. Um, like, Steve and Janine Leone are, are way more influential in Josiah's life than I am. And I'm thankful for that because they're way better at it than I am. Um, but with that comes a certain level of responsibility, um, of leadership, of modeling, of actually being in, intentional, I think is the word we want to focus on, being intentional in investment um, in, into your students' lives. And I think one of the, one of the main ways that we, you know, we talked about this, um, but once this sort of takes root in our heart and actually moves us in a way that is filled with grace and loving, and we say, oh my gosh, like I just want to do something with, my, with this kid. Um, like conversation, really intentional, sometimes uncomfortable conversations are going to be a huge vehicle for change. Right. It's going to be a huge vehicle for growth and creating intimacy between you and, and, and our students. Um, and, and here's the thing, uh, to quote Tom again, Tom Tanner, we were talking about youth ministry, and he said, um, Timothy, there's a, there's a big difference between a, a nursery and a cemetery. Nurseries are chaotic and loud and messy, and usually nothing goes to plan. If you worked in the village, you know. Like, it, throw the plans out the window. Um, but a cemetery, on the other hand, is quiet. Everything's well taken care of. There's not, you know, not too much is going to go out of the ordinary there. But um, the, the, the main thing is there's life in a nursery. There's life. And so when we, when we pursue and really want to direct our students towards spiritual life, it can, it can get messy and it can be difficult. Um, when we actually start engaging this, we're, we're going to find out things and get into conversations that make us really, really uncomfortable. Um, and and you, you, know, you, you brought up earlier the uh, – you said we, we like to share in successes, but failures not so much. I mean I would say um, in, in the, because of the nature of difficulty and how it can actually help us grow, I mean do we – are we aware, are you aware of your child's three – biggest spiritual struggles or even failures in the past year you're, is that something you're aware of that's something you are engaging with in prayer and or in conversation um i mean the, i know this one from from experience because i had to do it um talking about sex with teenagers can get uh awkward um especially when you're the one who has to be like look here are the rules here's what you do here's what you don't do Got it? Okay. Um, but this, I mean, that, this one in particular, this case, I mean, you ha- we have to do it. Like, this is something we have to engage because, I mean, our, our kids are going to learn about things that are part of human life from somewhere. Um, I would prefer it be from you. I would prefer that your kids look at you as the authority on sexual life, not their peers who are definitely geniuses and know everything or you know a movie or music or whatever it is um i mean wouldn't you rather have that like isn't it worth like two or three really uncomfortable conversations to build that bridge of trust so that you can so that then it's like hey uh you know your middle schooler comes on hey somebody said this on the bus what does that mean and you're like oh i'm glad i get to feel this one not you know so and so up the street um but also what I, what, I, what I think this does is that um, we cut off some of the really negative things that happen when the fences come down, when, when kids are outside of our homes and outside of our church. Um, in, in the book we read, there, are, there were a few questions in particular that kids said, they, I, I just don't feel like these were addressed or talked about adequately. And it really actually damaged me later on because – I didn't, have, I didn't have a grid for it. I didn't have any way to really handle this. Um, I, I just want to share those with you so, so you, you can be aware. And I mean, honestly, I'm going to read these, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, me too. And then you're going to think, oh, my kids too? And it, it can be really useful for opening up conversations. So here, here are just eight things that of surveyed students exiting high school. They said these are things that I, I asked myself all the time but never really felt comfortable bringing up. Um, Will God still love me if I have sex? That's outside of marriage, obviously. Yeah, 
outside of marriage. Um, am I worth anything? Does God really exist? Will God forgive me for all the bad things I have done and am doing? Why does God allow terrible things to happen if he is so loving and sensitive? Why do I feel like I can never hear God? Is homosexuality really such a bad thing? Do non-Christians go to hell even if they're good people? And so I hear these, and, and my first reaction is, I don't feel like I can give a really strong answer to like seven out of those ten things. I mean, those are tough questions. I mean, if you've got a handle on the whole suffering and evil question, you can come be our youth pastor. I would really, I would appreciate that. You could disciple me. Um, But I think what this shows is not necessarily that that students want answers. It's that they want conversations. They want someone to say, that is such a good question, and affirm that that is a legitimate question. So I want to press pause real quick. I recognize that there are conversations that need to be had, like right now. Um, maybe not about one of these, but about something that's going on. Um, and, and there's sort of two sides to that coin. One, so if you're one of my folks, if you're rising sixth grade to outgoing college, um, and there and there's stuff you know you need to bring up that you know you're keeping in the dark. And it's damaging you and it's damaging your relationship with your parents or your siblings or me. Just just go for it. Like it works out better in the long run, I promise. Um, and for parents and the people who are on the receiving end of that conversation, let's just be a safe place. Um, let's just be gracious and, and listen and, 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 and affirm that struggle and say, yeah, I get, that's real. That's, I understand and move towards it. Move towards a, a resolution, like like Steve was saying. So, would you say something? Yeah, I think that, uh, and just kind of give you one more, like a story. Uh, and obviously, my girls are not here today. I think it's good they're not here. Last weekend, at Catherine, we got done, and she's like, "Do we have to do that whole Christian thing at home? Like every, everything you just said?" And I went, "Oh no, I'm a terror. Like I had this whole failure moment." And Catherine's ten, for those of you who don't know. And uh, and we had this long conversation. It ended up being really good, and we laughed in the end and stuff. But um, but one of the things that happens in, the, in this place of dialogue with our kids is, you know, as a ten year old, literally the list. And I don't know if you wrote the list down, uh, but I wouldn't if it's in the book. But um, page seventy three. Page seventy three. But the great. I mean, literally, she's already asked me out of those eight or nine. Was the eight that was on there? She already asked me five of these, and she's ten. Right, and um, we've already had to have the sex talk, and we've talked. Appreciate that. Yes, we had the sex talk. We went. If it was great, right? Um, But it was it was interesting. About six months ago, we were uh, every night. I go upstairs with them, both girls. Uh, we sit on the bed, and we talk to them for a while, basically try to have closure for the day. If I've been mean, I apologize. And we had this whole, like, you know, the rigmarole of, like, I'm still mad at you. I'm like, I'm sorry, and start tickling her. And then finally she starts laughing. We hug, and we're good, right? So so anyway, we, so we're sitting there, and, I, and we'd always pray. And so the, this, this, you know, Astra said, hey, do, do, do you want to pray? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. She's like, I don't like to pray. And I went, I'm a terrible pastor, right? And uh, this is a whole failure piece happening. And, uh, and I looked at her, but I, and here's a good question. Just write this one down, parents. I said, tell me about that, <laughs> right? Listen, I say tell me about that, especially with Anna Catherine, 15 times a day. If you've been around her, she's like Randall, ask a thousand questions, right? And so I'm like, tell me about that. She's like, I don't like to pray. I was like, tell me about that. She's like, well, it's just boring. I said, Really? I said, tell me about that, <laughs> right? Why is it boring? And she just said, well, I don't think God hears me. And I was like, really? She's like, because I prayed for this, and it didn't happen. Have you ever had anything like that happen in your life? And I said, well, tell me about that, <laughs> literally. Like, if I'm going, tell me about that. What, what happened? Well, it starts this dialogue about something pretty, I mean, in her mind, it was a very big deal, which made it a very big deal in life. Okay, whatever's a big deal to your kids is a big deal. Don't ever forget that. It's a big deal to her. And so I said, "Honey, let's." I mean, I, I said, "I hear you." I said, "You know, I've experienced the same thing." 
She's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I've been there. I said, all my life there have been things that I've prayed for that seemingly God has just said no to or has been silent on. And I said, it's really hard, isn't it? She's like, it's so hard, Daddy. She got, I said, well, can we pray about it together? Can we do that? And she's like, okay, you know, we had this, and we, and so I found out that she didn't, wasn't she like, didn't like to pray. She just felt distant and that God wasn't there. And so this great dialogue that I'm not going to say now, and now she hears God and she's fantastic on how that kind of win. I, I, I still think she struggles with prayer, still struggles kind of trying to hear God's voice. And she still doesn't, it's still there. But the point is there was that safe place to have that grace-oriented conversation, to give her the space to talk through that and to recognize in my own spiritual life that I didn't have to feel this need to have everything figured out. I don't know about you, but I'm an imperfect parent, right? Uh, Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, I'm I'm imperfect, right? And so in that, I'm I'm an imperfect parent, with an imperfect understanding of all of life's difficulties. Therefore, I should never expect perfection of myself in parenting. I shouldn't. I should never expect perfection. I should never expect something in myself that Jesus would never expect of me and put on me. And so when we talk about just this this nature of spiritual vitality and all these pieces of, of growth, I have to recognize that the greatest thing I can give my children or other relationships with people who can come along and be Jesus to them. You see, in, 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 the, in, like in the, the statistical thing of youth ministries, they say, hey, have, have one adult to every, you know, every five child, every, every, every five children, whatever it is, right? Um, but we said last week that what we would like to do is shift that to say, no, we want to have a five adult to every one child relationship here at Vintage, And what that does is it comes back to the point of saying, all right, I'm an imperfect parent. Therefore, I'm going to look for people around me who can be Jesus and maybe who are better Christians than I am or understand this part of Jesus better than I do. And I want to get them into my child's life. And listen, the word is I'm going to be intentional about doing that so that someone else can invest into their life. Right? So when we lived in Omaha... You know, Rand, uh, we had uh, some spiritual mentors of ours named Ray and Jenny Mayhew, all right? Ray's planted over 100 churches in the Cypress Crete area. He's from London. He has crazy stories, literally came to Christ, went to this town. I think I told you the story. I just got to say it because it's, it's just amazing. He goes to this town, and he starts preaching the gospel in the town square. All of a sudden, there's a, a strong, is this a, People who are vehemently opposed to Christianity come chasing them. Someone motions them like this. They run over there, and they lead them to these back roads of the city, literally always one step in front of this massive mob chasing them, takes them to a bridge where there's no trees. Okay, this is important. There's no trees there. The guy walks them to the middle of the bridge, says goodbye. They embrace. They begin to walk off. Ray takes two steps, turns around. There's nobody standing there. Ray's experienced something pretty powerful in life. His wife, Jenny, goes to Kabul, Afghanistan every year for two weeks and fasts and prays for breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough in the, in the region, the Middle East. They are profound and radical people who I look up to. Kind of, just kind of pin that up there. They're perfect Christians in my mind, Okay. So we're at their house, we're living in Omaha, we, we're doing dinner, we uh, get down with dinner, they have a 17-year-old daughter named Joanna, we love Joanna, she's like, she's like a child, she's like, is like a child of, of ours, like really like a small, like younger sister, and we just love her, she comes to our house and hangs out, and so we're sitting there, and Joanna says, hey Randall, why don't you go upstairs with me, I want to show you my bedroom, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's great, right? So Randall runs upstairs with Joanna, I'm sitting here talking to, jo- uh, to, to Jenny and to Ray, and... And uh, about 15 minutes after you know, in the conversation, we have Anna Catherine. She's, getting, she's little. I mean, she's real little. She's just got to get in bed. I said, hey, I should probably get Randall. It's about time for us to go. And Jenny goes, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Jenny said, no. I gotta she goes, no. I'm like, okay. Uh, what's up? She said, we have a hard time talking to Joanna right now in this season of life. Randall is the only person in our life 
we know that she opens up to and will share everything with. Do you mind going ahead and going home and, and, and Serena won't feel any pressure? I'll let her know you're leaving and we'll just take her home when the time is right. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's right. Yes, ma'am. You, she can stay as long as she needs to. And an hour and a half later, Anna Catherine's already down. I'm sitting there watching ESPN Sports Center, and Randall comes walking in the door. What had happened? Well, she was one of her five. And there was an intentionality in Jenny and Ray to say, you need to leave so that she can stay because it's that important to us and to the spiritual livelihood of our daughter that she stay. And I said, yes, ma'am, then I will get out of your way and let God do his business through Randall in your daughter's life. What I want you to hear me say is this. Parents, there has to be a high level of intentionality of you working very hard to find people whether they're like spiritual sisters and brothers, older sisters and brothers, whether they are aunts and uncles, parents, grandparents, I don't care who it is, but there's people anywhere in your life, whether it's people from your past, people from your present, people who are, whether it's a coach or a teacher or a youth pastor or someone at Vintage or someone at another church that you respect, I don't care who it is, but that you're finding someone intentionally saying, listen, here's 50 bucks. Will you give my child two hours today and talk about something to do with life, preface something to do with Jesus, but would you just give them a platform in your life to ask questions and to speak? And I don't care what it's about. Preface something that, that produces life and create those. The only kind of, let me just kind of give you maybe something outside of your comfort zone that may make you a little bit frustrated, okay? But you need to pray through it before you get frustrated with me because I feel like this is from the Lord, okay? The other people, especially when they get a little bit older, probably, let's say, 16 and above, okay? I would encourage you as, as your pastor to put, have one of those people in their life be someone who thinks very differently than you. So think about it. Most of us in this room are evangelical conservative Republicans, right? Across the board in the church that we live in today, we are primarily evangelical Christian conservative Republicans. And for some reason, Republican means Christian today. I don't really know what that means, but there's this whole dynamic going down for us, right? But let me tell you something. If you just get people around your children who look like, act like, and sound just like you, guess what happens? When the fences come down, they don't know how to respond. So what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you when they reach a place of maturity that you actually create relationship with people who are way outside of your comfort zone and even your own theological beliefs. Why? Because they're going to be interacting with those people all day long in a non-Christian setting outside of your family. And if you can go ahead and help them tear those walls down and in a safe environment have that conversation with them, like you set it up and say, listen, they're going to say some things that maybe are different than what you've heard before and things outside of your comfort zone. But I want you to listen to them and I want you to ask the Lord his thoughts on that. And when you get back, I want to sit down and help you process that. Because let me tell you something. If your children can process the fences down while they're still at home with you and they feel like a safe environment to do that, guess what they'll do when they're 20 years old and their biology professor just said that God is dead? They will call you because they know that you are safe and they will process that with you without because they know this is someone who listens to me, understands me, and help, will help me process these difficult things. Listen, I say that with grace out there, saying I recognize how difficult that can be. But I said it last week, and I want, you should write this one down because this is from the Lord too. Do you have enough faith to trust God's grace in your child's life? Do you have enough faith that he can care for, protect, and guard your children? Do you have enough faith to, to, to trust God's grace in your child's life? that if you will help them tear the walls down well in advance, then they will have those difficult conversations with you. And who knows, you may even learn something 
in the process. So with that, with that, create the five in one. Be intentional. Work hard, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Now we're going to give you, Timothy's got 11 things. I got nine things, a total of 20. We're going to just rattle through these very, very practical things that you can do to help this relationship flourish. Our children are here. Timothy's going to give you more of the parent to, to youth things. I'm going to give you the church to children and youth thing. Okay, so with that, Timothy's run through those real quick. And then we'll get to mine. Okay, first, um, don't make Jesus a light switch. Uh, that you turn on and off depending on where you are and what you're doing. Um, whatever your child spends the most time doing, whether it's sports or academics or whatever, figure out how a, a way to integrate Jesus into that explicitly so they can understand that Jesus is all of life, not just some of life. Um, something real simple. Listen to podcasts from Vintage and with your kids and talk about things that maybe they didn't understand or were troubling or they really liked. Um, Make space, don't hope for space, for intentionally spiritual things in conversations. Yeah, that's so, and so the word is intentional. I mean, if that's a word that we use in parenting, that should be it. So. Um, debrief with your kids daily. Just take, whether it's dinner table or bedtime or whatever it is, just ask them how their day was and even tell them how your day went so there can be a, a consistent conversation going on. Um, your the whole kid, do you need to slow down, anybody? Y'all good? Take a picture. Y'all got that smartphone now, don't you? Learn, I'm sorry, uh, your kids need to see you worship, pray, and study the Bible. Um, learn to listen and ask good questions. And in your listening and in the questions you ask, and even the settings that this happens in, be creative. Um, if you notice that your kids are real talkative when you're coming home from a movie, Go to a movie twice or once a, once every two weeks. Something like that. I don't know. That's cool. um, don't avoid hard, hard subjects. Don't avoid hard subjects in conversation for real. Um, statistically, I have to qualify this a little bit. Statistically, kids who are involved in church-wide worship services or are involved in different aspects of church have stickier faith. Um, so are you giving your kids... A high view of the church. And by the church, I don't mean vintage. I mean the gathered group of believers. And in that, do your kids understand what church is? Do they understand communion? Do they understand baptism? Do they understand why we sing songs? Do they understand why we have sermons? Um, that's very useful. Yeah, and, uh, and in that, I think, and then Brandon, you texted me a second ago. I was already going to say it. Brandon's, Brandon's texting me notes up here, things I need to say. Um, but... Uh, one of the things I would say with, with your with listen, nobody likes reading the Bible. Your kids, then it's hard, right? Get a Bible your kids love. Like for example, the New Living Translation or the Message. The idea is this: get your children knowledgeable and in love with the stories and the story itself, the story of a loving God, and let them fall in love with it. And, and in time, they'll go, well, what's the what's the deeper meaning? And what's the Greek actually saying? What was the actual meaning that they were getting? All right, help them start with an actual love for the story. And then they can, in time, shift to a greater going deep and getting all the, all the kind of stuff. So the message, New Living Translation, great things just to begin to fall in love with the story. Uh, find out your kids' favorite spiritual practices and encourage them. So if you find that, you're, that you have a, a kid who actually is, excels in prayer, loves to pray for people, whatever it is, do it with them. Figure out creative ways to do it. If they actually enjoy reading the Bible, do it, you know, whatever it is. And the, this is where I was going to say. Sorry, my bad. Stole, <laughs> you stole your thunder. Stole me, but it's okay. Stole your thunder. Yeah. Um, one reason I find that students don't like reading the Bible is because they don't. Li they literally don't understand the language in it. Um, so that puts the onus on us to understand it. So then, when we read the message, we can explain it. Um, celebrate character development over achievement. So academically or athletically, set realistic goals and expectations that you plan together and then discuss as they're ongoing. Um, that, I mean, that's tremendously helpful when your students have input into how you're going to go about an academic year, an athletic team. Um, finally, give your kids a voice in your family. So in difficult conversations or in th things that really are over their head, give them a place at the table. Ask them what they think. Say, hey, we're moving in a month. Where, where, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think about a house? What, what would be good for you? And you know, even I mean, even if it's 
you know what? I'd like a room full of jelly beans. That would be sweet. Like, okay, they had a place at the table, though. Um, and then that's what – can I do something else real quick? Because I, I didn't get to do this last service because I, I talked too much. Um, one thing I recognize that in this, you probably look at it and go, I work 50 hours a week, and then I have another 50-hour-a-week job of making sure my kids don't burn down my house. Um, so I recognize that then all of a sudden it's like, so now you're telling me i got to be like – a scholar and a theologian and all this other stuff to be able to even get my kids to love Jesus. Well, it's not quite that much, but I do, I have some stuff written down right here and I'm just going to read it. And so if this sounds like something that would be helpful to you, just write it down or even come see me after this and I can give it to you. Um, one of the most useful teaching tools I've seen recently is something that a guy named Tim Keller put together and it's www.newcitycatechism.com. And it just simply goes through real easy things that everybody should believe. You know, what is the purpose of man? Who is God? And it, it's super practical, really good. Um, FullerYouthInstitute.org. That's actually in the Sticky Faith book. Unbelievable amount of resources. I mean, they make our little practical list look like, I don't know, like not that good. <laughs> um, there's something online called A Beginner's Guide to Family Worship. It's by a guy named Winfield Bevins. It's really easy very accessible, great place to start if you're like, we have never had family worship, family scripture reading, or even really talked about Jesus at all. Really easy place to start. Um, books are really helpful too. I, I really believe that. Um, so if, you, if you're unsure in a certain area, just buy a book. Um, Basic Christianity by John Stott, fantastic. Knowing God by J.I. Packer, really, really good stuff, extremely deep, but very accessible. Um, Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem, really entry-level stuff to what Christians should believe. Um, for communication and families, there's a book called War of the Words by a guy named Paul Tripp. Um, and his brother wrote a book called Age of Opportunity. His name is Ted Tripp, wrote a book called Age of Opportunity about different parenting things in um, yeah, now I'm good with that. So okay. if you have any questions, you can feel free to ask. Yeah, Timothy will be outside with his list, and uh, you can just write it all down. That's yeah. A lot. All right, here we go. So, uh, and I would say this, this was, as it relates to give your kids a voice in your family. When I was 13, uh, we were in this idea of merging churches, and, uh, and I'll never forget, I'm sitting in this room uh, with all the leaders of our church, and 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 the and the pastor from Piedmont Baptist Church was in the room, and he was helping us process and dialogue the conversation. This is a long time ago, back in the uh, 90, early late 80s. And he said um, they were trying to merge all this stuff, and and he going around, and everybody was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And all of a sudden, he looked at me. He said, "Son, what do you think God's saying?" And I and I said. I think God's saying pretty clearly, this is, this is what he wants us to do. And I'll never forget, he goes, then that's what we're doing. And I remember, like, like it was yesterday, had a platform and a place at the table with a massive life decision that I got to, I got to be part of the voice of God. And I would say, I, I, can, I, can, I can see that. And I'd say it gave me an identity as a part of the body of Christ in a powerful way, so I definitely, definitely love that one. All right, number one, it kind of even speaks to it for me. Practical takeaways: uh, church to child and parent treat your treat our children slash youth like real people. Remember when? Remember when they weren't treated like real people? Remember when you? Remember how many how many youth did you notice when you walked in the door today? Because usually we overlook them rather than engage them. Remember when you were a youth and how you always felt overlooked and kind of second class, and that's why you had a children's table rather than being invited to sit at the family table? Why is that? Are we only worth a card table and paper plates? I don't quite get that, right? So treat our children and youth like they're real people. Number Number two, try and learn. Here we go. Ready for this one? Try and learn every youth's name and call them by name when you say hello. Learn their names. They're people, right? Learn their names and say hello to them and give them a high five. Let me tell you something. I think every youth here will say, and Sydney's her first Sunday. She's right here, right? First Sunday. I know her by name, right? She's little Sarah's little friend right here. She's been one other time a while ago, right, in the morning. Listen, I learn kids' names. You know why? Because they're real people. 
and I love them. I think all the youth will attest who've been here for at least a period of time. I know them. I hug them. I throw them to the floor. I chase them. Whatever it may be, whatever it looks like, right? I don't chase down Andrew Fortier or try to throw him to the floor. He's much bigger than I am, right? He could beat me up. But, I, but you know what? Isn't that true? Don't I love all of you and you know it? It's every single one of you, okay? All right. So try and learn their youth names and say when you call them by name, when you say hello, don't go, hey, what's up, buddy? Don't do that, okay? Especially if, they've been, if you've been here longer than a year, you can't do that. Number three, ask questions. Never explain something to your youth if you can ask questions. So when you get with them, ask questions. Ask questions. Learn things about them, okay? Number four, look for youth to be a part of their five. Look for a youth. Like as you talk to somebody, it's like you fall in love with Chase over here. Chase has got these flowing locks of hair, right? He's just a great. Listen, I've gone to Starbucks twice. We were just talking about a second ago. I mean, like I go to Starbucks with Chase, and it's been a while now, I, 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 I admit, but hell, like a year maybe, but but, like, I love Chase, right? We get together and we hang out. It's like it's life. And we don't just say, hey, what's up, man? It's like, no, there's a real affinity and we actually connect, okay? And, I, and so, so when I look and say, we connect, and I go, to, I go to Tim and say, listen, can I be one of his five? Can I be one of his five? And Tim should go, well, let me interview you first, <laughs> all right? Because you want to guard your kids, all right? Number, so don't be creepy when you do that, okay? Number five, for number five, for birthdays, don't give gifts but give an experience, so if you're in relationship with one, like if you're one of the five or someone that is like maybe part of your like connected family, don't give gifts. They're lame, right? Give an experience. Say, hey, can I take you? Can I take you fishing? Can I take you to Starbucks? Can I take you to work with me one day, right? Can I take? Can I? Can we just hang out? Can I come over? Can I? I mean, can we play ping pong for an hour one day? I don't care what you do, but do something that's an experience. Because I don't know about you, but I can replay all of the experiences I had with important men and women in my life over the years. I have no idea what I received as gifts. Okay, number uh, six. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say this. I went out, Brady Lynch, he, this, is, this is the cool thing about it. I think the youth would attest to this. So Brady Lynch, he's one of our youth, and, and so, about, so he came to me and he said, hey, Steve. I'm like, what? He's like, will you take me to Waffle House for my birthday? Right? And I said, yeah, let's do it. I said, when's your birthday? In seven months, <laughs> right? And I was like, dude, let me tell you what happened. Every time I saw him, all the youth are like, Brady Lynch, I guess he didn't do that. Every, every time I saw him for the next seven months, you know what we talked about? Dude, how much longer do we go to, how much longer do we go to Waffle House? He's like, like five months, Steve, five months. Like, you know, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome, right? And so for seven months, we anticipated a Waffle House run before school. So literally, like the, the week before, I said, I looked and it says one week, isn't it? He's like, yeah, 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 next Tuesday. I said, dude, I'm there, 6.30, I'm at your house, I'm picking you up. We go to New Hope Waffle House, and we sat there for an hour and a half, and y'all know, he just sat there and talked. Like, dude, he starts talking, talking. Oh, I just went, mm-hmm, yeah, oh my gosh, are you serious, right? That's a good one to learn. Oh my gosh, are you serious? I learned that, okay? And this is this great time. We look forward to it. It's what happens when you do give experiences, okay? Uh, number six, this is, um, yeah, number six. Just say yes if a youth or child pursues you to hang out and to talk. Just say yes. You'll figure it out. Do it within a week, okay, or two weeks depending on your schedule. Number seven, parents, find families to do life with. Find families. I don't care if you like them very much. If they're good for your kids, learn to like them, okay? Find families and do life with them, okay? People are like, oh, my gosh, is that family like me or whatever. So, anyway, number eight, pr- pray for our youth. Pray for them. I'm not saying I pray for them every day. As the Lord reminds you, pray for them. But ask the Lord to remind you to pray for them, okay? Every day, every day isn't bad, though. It's not bad, okay? I'm not, not going to put that on you. Numbers nine, this is my last one. I want you to invest into our children and our youth at Vintage when asked. When we ask you to invest into our children in the village, when we ask you to, to invest into our youth, please do it. Because here's the thing. There's no such thing as youth volunteers and children volunteers at Vintage. All we have are Vintage discipleship makers. And so every child is a disciple to be discipled. And every youth is a disciple to be trained and to be raised up, right? And so when we come to you and we say along the lines of, like, listen, we have needs in the village, and you say, that's just not my thing, or I've already done that, or I just, oh, that's just so hard for me. 
then I want you to hear me say that's not very Christ-like. Because Jesus says, never forbid the little ones coming to me. And so the idea is then, if every single person at Vintage, and I don't care if you're 70, and I don't care if you're 18, I don't care how old you are, you should say, Jesus, I want to serve you by discipling our children, and I'm going to give, listen, if I give one month in the village, do you know how much time that is out of your year? Basically about seven hours of your year. How much time do we spend watching television? And all I'm saying is take seven hours out of the year, if every single person did this, seven hours, and disciple our children. Don't volunteer in there, please. I want you to disciple them. You say, I don't know what I'm doing. That's fantastic. You have a room lead who will help you. You know what happens in the context of that space? You actually get to know kids' names, and they see you, and they hug on you. It's purely selfish motives, right? And all of a sudden, you become super special to them because all they really want you to do when you go in there is to love them. I don't give them high fives, give them knuckles. I don't care what you do, but come alongside and disciple them. And all of a sudden, from that moment on, you will know that child the rest of your life, and you will see them and watch them grow and recognize how important you were as part of their spiritual development as a child of God. And they leave and they tell stories of sticky faith of the time that so and so came into the came in here and just loved me and had and laughed with me. And so when we ask you to do this, it's not a responsibility or a duty. It's simply an opportunity to actually fulfill the Great Commission. Because I want you to hear me say this, and it sounds harsh, but I'm saying this in love. If we can't even disciple our own kids, how dare we ever say we could disciple someone outside of here? We can't disciple even our own kids. Do you think and give time to them seven hours out of a year? Do you think that we can really disciple anyone in our neighborhood or in our workforce and fulfill the Great Commission? We have to be those who are discipling and giving our lives away. All right. So here's how we're going to end our time. The team is going to come. As soon as I get done, um, we're, going to, we're going to go into worship's last ministry time. Now, it's already 1230, so I know some of you need to go. So as soon as we get into worship, you're, you're, you're free. We're going to take up the offering very first thing. And after that, and listen, you're, you're free to go.